Anakin, I'm glad to see you. But I'm afraid our host feels otherwise. Oh, you can't make everyone happy, Master. They're threatening to kill the slaves unless you surrender. It's good to see you're always ready to negotiate. But I've had enough bargaining with slave drivers. Anakin, you must realize this is a fight you cannot win alone. Who said I was alone? It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Buto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the Clone Army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode... Obi-Wan and Drax languish in prison, Ahsoka in a cage, and Anakin in forced servitude under Queen Mirage. But Dooku ruins the Queen's plans and Anakin escapes with Ahsoka, calling in the Republic forces to save the day. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho, and I'm a Clone Wars rookie on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars next to me in the dropship. He's a Clone Wars veteran on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars, and he's the Obi-Wan to my Rex. It's your trusty bell, Robbie. How's it going? You see how I'm mixing that up, Robbie, with that Obi-Wan and Rex? I've done that recently as well, whenever they pair up Obi-Wan and Rex. Yeah. Because they've been doing these cool pairings sometimes. Right. Not that it's that cool in this episode. I mean, we'll get to it, but uh, it's not a fun time. But uh, we're going to talk about this episode, of course, is the 79th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's written by Henry Golding and Stephen Melching, and it's directed by Danny Keller. And it's Season 4, Episode 13, Escape from Kadavo. So, Robbie, let's roll out as always with you letting us know what you remembered about this episode before you rewatched it again this week. The only thing that I really remembered about this episode was that it wrapped up. I couldn't remember exactly how things turned out. Again, I don't know if it was just because I was, you know, sort of tuned out during this arc or, or what. I don't know what the deal is. I can't explain to you why I didn't remember a lot of it, but I did remember Ahsoka's plan of pulling the ship in underneath, and I remembered that, but but I mean, a lot of the stuff was, a lot of the details were very, very foggy. So, you, one thing you wouldn't have remembered was that Anakin throws a guy off the top story of the palace, <laughs> yeah. and then we see that the guy is still alive for a while, after that massive fall, almost as if they wanted to show that not only are these Igerians so tough they are not killed instantly by falling 300 feet, but that the slaver also suffered a little before he died. So there's some sort of catharsis or satisfaction there for the audience that this guy doesn't just die instantly. He gets to think a little bit about what he's done. And, I mean, we might as well just get right to it. Queen Mirage gets kind of similar treatment. We see her sustain a fatal injury at the hands of Dooku this time, but it's one which lets her live long enough to have some time to think about what's just happened to her. Did you read it similarly to that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's... I found it kind of like, wait a minute, he survived that? Being thrown what looked like miles? I mean, it was like, I don't know, it was a little distracting to me. I didn't think about it as, you know, oh, they're so tough that they can survive that kind of stuff. It was more of like, I don't know, it was just, it was weird to me. I really wasn't sure what the purpose of that was, other than maybe to show that, but at least I didn't get that from it. And then when the when the queen died, I have to say, it was a weird sort of... um I don't know, like, I actually felt a bit for her, like, I don't know if I was supposed to feel that, but I did, and I found it a little strange that I felt that. Yeah, I sort of get what you mean, because she comes out with the line that, you know, Anakin's right, she was a slave, just like he was, but how far you 
going towards buying that line from someone who's, you know, I mean, we went over it in the previous episode about how one thing that she doesn't do or that she suggests at least that she hasn't done is lie. You know, she's telling the truth all the time. But, you know, that line about I was a slave just like you. <laughs> when you're the queen, even if you are taking orders from someone else, that's, you know, being a soldier or being somewhere in a hierarchy. When you have all that power and opulence, whatever, comparing yourself to a slave, that is beyond the pale for me. So, yeah, I wasn't too sad to see her go, given that she was <laughs> in charge of overseeing this whole kingdom of terrible suffering. And, I mean, we see what is happening to Obi-Wan and Rex this whole time and all those Portagrudens. So, when she goes out, knowing what she's presiding over, I mean, that that is impressively oppressive. What the show in this kid's show, the suffering that, the mental suffering, not just the physical suffering, the mental right. suffering that Obi-Wan's going through and Rex being by his side, kind of, we see Rex looking to Obi-Wan so that we don't know, is he waiting for a sign to do something? I don't know if it's even that. It's, Rex is helpless at the same time. He's he, he's like, what are we, what are we going to do? We're in a terrible situation and he's watching, you know, one of his Jedi pals suffer like this. I mean, that whole segment in Kadabo, that was hardcore stuff, Robbie. Yeah, it was. And, it was one of those things where it's kind of like, you know they're going to get out of it kind of thing, but it's weird how hopeless this whole arc kind of made you feel, you know what I mean? It's Yeah. There's a real uh, just sense of hopelessness that is just, it's very potent for some reason in these episodes, more than any of the other ones. Like, you kind of feel like, you know, oh yeah, yeah, they're always going to get out of it, but it's weird how effective it was for me. I guess it's just because... In the back of my head, it's always like, well, yeah, of course they're going to get out of it. They've got to move on to this and this. You know, there's all these things that are coming forward. But, I mean, it's really effective. And I also want to point out, I don't know if you've noticed this too, but in the, uh, I guess the Cadavo, um, all the torture chambers and little places where they're, you know, whipping people and all that, there's sounds that are borrowed from Temple of Doom. All right. I did not notice it. Oh, yeah. The kids crying and stuff like that. I'm not sure if it's because uh, of the uh, the surrounds that they use, but it's very apparent to me. And I, I guess it's just because I sound is one of those things that I really, really typically pick up on, you know, ever since I was a little kid. And it was always distracting to me in Temple of Doom that they replay the same sounds multiple times, <laughs> like in different right. scenes. You can hear the same screams kind of in the background, right. and they're the same sounds that they use here. So I don't know if it's just part of the Ben Burt sound library or what. Good air, Robbie. I did not pick that up. But something that I did pick up was that for some reason, old Artui is still gallivanting around the palace. Yeah, I thought that you know, too. Free and easy. And, you know, given that he was the one who clearly not only arrived with the Jedi, but the one who gave them back their lightsabers, you know, he didn't do this, do it secretly either. He did it in plain sight during a massive, you know, set piece. So I just thought it was... An interesting touch here that R2 was somehow roaming free with no sanction from the Zygerians. No, I I thought the same thing. I was like, wait a minute. I guess we never saw what actually happened to him during the the fight in the arena there. Sure. So it was, uh, I guess you could just assume that he just went away. But it was one of those things where it's like, wait a minute. Then, So what's what's he been doing all this time, number one? And number two, why didn't he help out more during the whole arena fight? It seemed awkward to me. Yeah, I wonder what he could have done during the arena fight, though. I mean... Oh, I don't know. Even When even Jedi can't handle the numbers, what, what is R2 going to do? 
Well, maybe that's what he he goes. He goes. Well, I'm going to shoot these lightsabers out there, and then uh, I'm just going to hide over here in the corner. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's yeah, a strange. Maybe that's what he did. I don't know. It's just weird. Of course, you could argue that, like in the previous episode or episode before, where Obi Wan and the Governor get shot off the back of that was it Brevac or whatever that Rex just kind of disappears. You know, he's just like, well, I'm going to keep going then. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah, <laughs> it was kind of a weird thing then, yeah. but it was quite funny. It was kind of funny, right? Yeah, Rex is like, you're on your own. I'm going to regroup over here, <laughs> and he just keeps going over the wall. Or maybe he just didn't realize. He just was like, when he got to the place of safety, he just kind of go, okay, so that went. Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, is there also a question about where did Ahsoka get her lightsaber back from? Because we see where Anakin gets his from, and we see where Obi-Wan gets his from, but Ahsoka just magically all of a sudden has her lightsabers again? Well, I had just assumed that R2 had those too. Yeah, well, I guess we have to assume that, because after she got captured, they would have been taken away from her, you know, when she was captured. Right, so right. after the Zygerians took her lightsabers, how did R2 get them back? Well, gosh, I don't know. I'm, I'm. It's a mysterious world of mystery sometimes, Robbie. Yeah, maybe we just, they're just like, hey, just go with it. Just, let's just go with it. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go with it. You know, what else, you know what else I'm going to go with, Robbie? I'm going to go with Admiral Coburn, who's in command of the fleet, which turns up with Plo Koon. And there's something super familiar about this guy's look. And so I looked him up, expecting him to be based on a real actor. But as far as I could see, he wasn't. I just there's something about his look that is super familiar and even with the touch they have of him sort of leaning on the backs of the seats of his pilots as they bring the cruiser into position under the prison you know he's not standing there in a military pose with his hands behind his back like we might imagine how admirals typically stand you know I just like that they have him basically leaning on the backs of his pilots sort of slouching a little bit as if he's so intent that all of his military bearing is is not something he's thinking about in that moment so he played a small part in the rescue at the end well but a vital part and may not have had a lot of screen time but he just uh, he made an impression on me Robbie yeah he was very distinctive but uh but yeah so so I guess you didn't find anything on him huh he's just a no that's interesting I because it was one of those things where I meant to go back and look him up and didn't so i guess i i'm glad i didn't waste my time <laughs> yeah i mean as far as i could see he is just created for the show and he's part of the fleet that shows up in the citadel arc and he's part of the fleet that sh- i mean he's the commander of this fleet as well but that's as far as i can tell that's all there is on him although maybe deeper research would show something different i'm not sure but you know what i don't need deeper research to find out about robbie what's that Let's put it this way. Have you ever been happier to see Plo Koon than just after Anakin asks Obi-Wan, who said I was alone? Boom, here comes the fleet, and here comes Plo Koon, Robbie. Yeah, it was, uh, the whole episode had a real cathartic sense to it. You know, you almost get that rush of excitement when you see them, you know, come out of light speed and then see, you know, Plo Koon leading Z-95 headhunters. Come on. <laughs> yep. Those are some of my favorite ships because they're sort of like, they were created to be sort of like the, I guess, the predecessor to the X-Wings way back in the 80s and 90s. And in fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you, in the old... Uh, x-wing games the old flight simulator games from uh from the late 80s and early 90s there were the x-wing series there was x-wing versus tie fighter there was a tie fighter game i love that game the z95s were part of those yeah in that game so it was something that i guess back in my in my data banks they've always been there so it's kind of cool to see them again here they, i mean they, they've been in some previous episodes too but this one in particular it was like it was just cool to see you know 
Yeah, I played the heck out of the, especially the TIE Fighter entry in that series. But one thing I didn't do when I was playing TIE Fighter back in the day that Plo Koon does in this episode, he pulls the old, a version of the old Top Gun, hit the brakes and he'll fly right by trick when he's dogfighting with those Zygerian fighters. How did you like that, Robbie? Except he goes even further than Maverick. Plo Koon just cuts the engines and sort of tumbles through the air and then and then comes back. How did you like that one? I really, really liked it. I mean, it was a note that I put down because it was one of my favorite moments in the episode. I mean, it was just, it's just cool looking. It's weird how, you know, we've, we've talked about technically how they've gotten so good at that volumetric lighting and the, and the, the lighting effects and, and the way that the camera movements and even the animations, the flying scenes are leaps and bounds better than the previous, you know, seasons. I mean, they just keep getting better and better and more dynamic. And it's just, uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and this is a uh, this is not necessarily a note that I guess is going to go any, but I also like the little touch they have of when they bring the cruiser and underneath the prison, you know, to catch everyone out. So it just knocks that aerial yeah. thing off, or whatever that big old upside down tower is. And it's, as they move in real slow, it's kind of scraping along the thing. I, know. I don't know why, but that was satisfying as well. That's one of those things that I guess it's kind of like my oh, be careful. When anything is rubbing up against a ship, for some reason, it always kind of makes me a little uneasy because, sure. you know, I think about it kind of tearing a hole in, the, you know, in, in the hull, you know, it's just something that's, yeah. I guess you could call it a trope. I mean, it's used in all kinds of different movies and things, but it's always something that in the back of my head is always like, oh, I hate that. I hate that. Or maybe it's kind of like, a, you know, fingernails on a chalkboard or something. Okay. It, it always, it always bothers me. Well, speaking of things that bother people, Robbie, let's talk about Warden Agris because we haven't really mentioned him yet. We've mentioned what he put Obi-Wan and Rex through, but we haven't mentioned how by the end of the episode, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm not going to say that Agris has necessarily done quite enough to, I guess, crack my top five Clone Wars villains, but I did find him super effective and super easy to root against. And he's definitely done enough to make it super satisfying. And, you know, to go back to that word cathartic, when Rex puts that electro harpoon through his unarmed chest on behalf of Obi-Wan and every other slave Argus is tormented and you know with that line I'm not a Jedi um, yep. just a just a nice moment for Rex Robbie yeah, and, and that, for Obi-Wan that line is it's just one of my favorite lines you know I love the way he says that because I think he says I'm no Jedi right Right. Uh, just the way he says it, it's just, uh, it's one of those uh, really, really great lines that, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be a little, uh, a little guarded here because I love that line for a reason. Oh, okay. Okay, you better say no more on that, Robbie, about what we do want to hear from you is what was your favorite shot of Escape from Kadavo? Because there was a few, I mean, there was a bunch of memorable and striking shots in this episode. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I'm, I'm looking through my notes here, and, and you hit almost all of the same notes that I did. There's one shot that, I mean, of course, the plow cutting the engines, that was was going to be my favorite. But one of the shots that was just really, really striking was the return to all of the capital ships in orbit around uh, Kadavo. There's that shot where there, it's almost like a partial, like eclipse happening in the background. Or not, it's not an eclipse. It's just the, you know, the, the 
I guess the nighttime on the planet and it's just a beautiful shot of the ships in orbit and the their smaller ships coming into to land. I just I love that shot. It was just a really, really pretty looking shot. It sure was, Robbie, and you haven't stolen my shot, fortunately. My shot is just a shot of Ahsoka and Rushdi walking together through the hangar bay at the end, just because it was I found it kind of sweet to see Ahsoka communing with another Togruta, you know, after all that she's been through, not just to save her people, but just we don't see Ahsoka talking with other Togrutas before. You know, we see a lot of humans talking to a lot of humans, but we don't see Ahsoka talking with other Togrutas in the show. And so I just thought that was a sweet moment, and that's why it's my shot of the episode. And so before we bring this one for a landing, Robbie, we need to sum up and give our ratings... So after your third ever watch of Escape from Cadavo, how'd you like it overall? And where does Escape from Cadavo sit on that four-star Robbie scale? Well, this one's, a, I guess, not really a surprise. I'm going to give it a three out of four. I still think it's worth watching, but it's not necessarily integral to, you know, the Clone Wars uh, story as a whole. But I really did enjoy the episode. There's a couple of things that I still, you know... I kind of wonder about, you know, namely that uh, Zygerian, you know, being able to survive after being thrown all that way and R2 just kind of showing up, you know, whenever he's needed, you know, it's kind of a a strange thing. I mean, it's not like they needed to take time to show, hey, this is what R2 has been doing all this time, you know, but it still seemed a little strange that, you know, he would have been just, I don't know, wandering around the city, I guess. I don't know what he was doing. But yeah, overall, I still enjoy this arc. I just, I especially like all of the, I guess, the hopelessness that it puts our heroes in, you know, and you kind of feel like, okay, well, how are they going to get out of this exactly? You know, this is, it's one of those things that kind of makes you feel that. So, so yeah, I feel like it's, uh, it's pretty good. And just to go back for a sec to the Zygerian that Anakin throws over the parapet and, you know, down into the market, the way that I read it was that he did survive but only for a little while and then he died similar to the way that his you know queen later survives a fatal injury just long enough to die so i don't know maybe it's ambiguous maybe it's supposed to be ambiguous but did you take it as that that guy survived or i mean this is definitely not a key point of the episode to debate but it's just an interesting two different ways to look at the same scene you know well it was just like because i mean they you know it's not like we got to hear a death rattle or anything like that you know at the end but it was just like He's moving, and there's a... What was that? Like, a, the Kowakian monkey lizard was on yeah. top of him, and it was just like... <laughs> wh- I don't... Why? I almost think that it was it was one of those shots where I'm wondering why it was even there at all. It was one of those things where you could see him throw him off of the of the se- of the, of the roof there. Yeah. And you just move on. And they show him falling for quite a while, right? Yeah, and just move on. They probably could have cut after they showed him falling, so that's why I felt like maybe they're making some point, you know? Like your question about why is it there? That's what I'm sort of asking myself. Why did they put it there? What are they trying to show us? I tell don't know. Us? And that's the weird. That's one of those weird things where it's like I don't know if there was a point. Sure. I guess maybe that's why. I, maybe I'm stretching a little bit too far to sort of have that mirror the scene that we see later with his queen, who also, you know, who. I mean, I'm just repeating myself now, Robbie. I've got this at seven <laughs> out of ten, and I was really, you know, I'm really up against almost. I'm almost putting giving it an eight just for how effectively. It shows that suffering on Kadabo, and I'm almost talking myself back into an eight now because I love seeing the fleet shop at the end and Plo Koon. I love seeing Rex kill. I'm giving this an eight. I've just talked myself <laughs> into giving this an eight. Rex taking out Argus. Yeah, that's it. This is eight. What are we going to call this one, Robbie? It's eight. Eight jetpack flying 
What, what did you say those what are those guys that's the wolf pack right yeah eight jet pack flying wolf pack troopers out of ten that's what I'm gonna give it and that is mission how did you like them on those jet packs Robbie Let's talk about <laughs> that was cool right oh yeah man anytime you can have a jet pack I mean who, who doesn't want a jet pack let's be honest here Yes, sir. 100% agree with you. 1138% agree with you. And that is Mission Accomplished for Season 4, Episode 13, Escape from Cadavo or Cadavo. You'd think I would have learned how to say it by now after three episodes here. But anyway, <laughs> Robbie, if any of the troops out there want to send us a voice message to tell me how to say Cadavo or Cadavo, what are our communications channels? We are Bucho and Robbie at Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 80th episode in the Star Wars. We're up to episode 80, Robbie. It's crazy. And the StarWars.com Clone Wars Chronology Season 4, Episode 14, A Friend in Need. It's going to be nice to see a friend after this all this oppression in the last three episodes. And they'll borrow before it. This has been a heavy seven-episode run, Robbie. For sure. Hopefully this friend in need gets the gets the whatever they need. <laughs> but until then, this is your old buddy Bucho alongside your trusty pal Robbie. And we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing this show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. Force will be with you, always.